All right. Uh, as Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, they said, Holy, holy, holy. As I look at my watch and the service, uh, I'm hearing the words edit, edit, edit. <laughs> um, it's our tradition uh, to go through the biblical texts uh, as the primary basis for our sermons, though occasionally we use the lectionary readings, and during the holy days sometimes we address themes. Uh, in this last year, we began a series on the Corinthian letters, and we completed the first letter, and then I did a brief series on the Benedict Option, the books that we were reading, and some discussions with the idea that we would go back to the Corinthian letters uh, because the Corinthian letters serve well as bookends for the Benedict option. So today I'm going to begin the second letter of Corinthians. Now, uh, it's been some time since we uh, looked at 1 Corinthians. We had the High Holy Days, then we had uh, the Benedict option, and then now we've got uh, uh, Advent beginning and Christmas coming. So um, it would be good if you get a chance to reread 1 Corinthians, though I'll summarize it uh, briefly today. Just want to do an introduction, and um, I know we have the kids' rehearsal, so we'll watch that. Um, Paul, in both of these books, calls himself an apostle by the will of God. And if we look at Acts 9, we don't have time, but if we looked at Acts 9, we would see that Paul began not as an apostle, but as one who was quite hostile to the gospel and the message of Jesus and the resurrection. In fact, so hostile he was that he had gotten letters from the Sanhedrin and the high priests, the chief priests, to go and put believers into prison um, who believed in Yeshua or in Jesus. And on his way to Damascus to do that very thing, he was confronted by the resurrected Christ and uh, blinded and then uh, turned from a uh, persecutor of the church of God to uh, an apostle of the Lord, particularly an apostle to the Gentiles. The Lord said he would bear his name before the Gentiles and before kings and also the sons of Israel. Now, the letter that we're looking at, the Corinthian letters, are really about a church that started a little bit like uh, many Baptist churches. It started with a congregational split. That congregational split was a synagogue. So in Acts chapter 18, if you'll turn there, we'll look real quickly at this. And I'll uh, kind of pass through some of the passages uh, so that we won't read them all. Uh, there's 17 verses, I don't want to read all of them, but uh, 18 verse 1 says uh, that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, Athens and Corinth is not a long distance by our standards, um, uh, and you know, with a car you can get there just real quickly. Um, so he finds a Jew there named Aquila and his wife Priscilla, and he begins to... Um, work with them because they're all tent makers. Um, and then he would go to the, to the synagogue in Corinth on the Shabbat and try to persuade Jews and Greeks. Uh, Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia 
And now uh, the Macedonians had given him some money so he didn't have to work. And so he began devoting himself completely to the word, uh, testifying to the Jews that Yeshua was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. But they resisted the message and blasphemed. And he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood is on your own hands. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now what Paul means is the Gentiles here in Corinth. He's not, because he will go to the Jews first in every city that he goes. He left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titus, Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. So he's going to start a little house church right next to the synagogue. Um, Now Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard that, were believing and being baptized. I want you to catch this next part. The Lord said to Paul at night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city." And he settled there a year and six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. Uh, While uh, Gallio was proconsul, the Jews began to rise up against Paul and said, hey, he's teaching contrary to the Torah, which he wasn't, but that was the complaint. And Gallio said, look, if he did something against Rome... That's one thing. But if this is about your Torah and interpretations of your scriptures, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so the, the, the leaders of this uprising grabbed uh, the leader of the synagogue, who was now a guy named Sosthenes, and began to beat him. And the, the leader, did the Roman representative, didn't care about that. Now, as it turns out, in 1 Corinthians... Paul says, I'm writing along with Sosthenes. So even that synagogue leader became a believer. Quite a fruitful thing. It's important to know that when God says, I have many people here, he's not saying many believers in Jesus. He means many believers who fear me and who walk in my ways. And when they hear the message, they will turn to that message of Messiah coming. Now, uh, Corinth is a major strategic city. It's on an isthmus that links Athens to Achaia. And it has two seaports, one on each side. It's a very small area so that the ships could drop off on one side. They could carry the, the uh, cargo over, put them on other ships. So it didn't have to go down around Athens and out into the dangerous Mediterranean. And in doing that... It uh, made this really what some people have described a combination of New York, L.A., and Las Vegas, all in one city. And so the Corinth city was a pretty wild place. And Paul is going to write to them in 1 Corinthians, and he writes to them in a way that is a rebuke. He's rebuking them for their disunity. They have made all of their differences their favorite ministers, their spiritual gifts, and other things, a basis for their division and not for their unity. At the same time, they're tolerant of sin, terrible, gross sin in their midst, that they're not worried about that, they're allowing that to go on. And so Paul's letter of rebuke is quite strong. 
He says the differences in personality, gifting, ministry, and the place in the body are to promote unity, not factions and not disruptions. These all come from the same God. They all come from the same Lord. They're all given by the same Spirit. So these ministries, gifts, and abilities are for the common good, and they're to be used by love for the production of unity in the body. But sin is, especially grievous sin, is not to be tolerated, and those who do such things are to be removed from the holy community, so that the leaven would not spread. So love brings unity, but it doesn't bring license to sin. And then finally, at the end of the first letter, he addresses the gospel and the resurrection as the focus and the hope of what God ultimately is doing when Jesus returns from heaven. And he closes the letter with greetings and encouragement for them to operate decently and in order and respectfully towards one another. So, I've kind of given you a a repeat of the uh, first letter. What I want to do with the second letter today is look briefly at why he wrote it, and then look at one passage at the very end, so that next time I'll actually start the letter. But because of the time and because I needed to remind you of 1 Corinthians, I didn't want to delve into that. But there's something critically important here for us to see. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, Paul says, An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God with Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What he begins to do in this letter is acknowledge that this letter is not just for the Corinthians, but it's for all the believers, all the holy ones in this entire area. And as we saw before, became very common in the early congregations to read the Torah and to read the letters of the apostles, later to begin reading the half-Torahs with that and the uh, Gospels. So we get the lectionary of Christianity that usually reads an Old Testament, a, a, a psalm, a gospel, and an epistle as part of the liturgy. Now, uh, he includes in this, this grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Paul's abbreviated version of Numbers chapter 6, uh, verses 22 to 27, which is the Aaronic blessing. I always have people say to me, why is the church using the Aaronic blessing? Because Paul used it in the context of blessing also the Gentiles as they became part of the people of God. So that blessing that is on Israel extends to us. doesn't replace, it's not pulled off of Israel and put on the church. It is extended to the Gentiles in that context. So it's important to keep that in mind uh, as we look through this letter. Now, the passage I want to look at for today is not in this first chapter. It's actually the second chapter, verses 1 to 4. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul says, I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. 
For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I have made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I came I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. And out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but so that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Now Paul's giving a reason for why he's writing the second letter. first letter was a rebuke. It was a letter of uh, criticism. It was a letter of complaint. And he even says in it, Shall I come to you with a rod? And the idea was, and you know this if you're raising children, there are times when they're just running amok and you have to rebuke them and you have to correct them. That is not a lack of love. But it is a terrible thing to have to do and no parent enjoys correcting and uh, uh, rebuking their children. Because when you do that, your kids hate you. They absolutely think you are the worst person in the world. And so this child who brings you joy now can't stand you. So there's a tendency to not want to correct them and let things go. But Paul knew that since he loved them, he needed to rebuke them. Because if they turned in obedience, it proved their genuineness. And that's what the Corinthians did. So now he's writing a letter where he's going to explain why he had to be so harsh. And that he doesn't want to do that anymore because they actually are his joy. Now, if I had time, I would go to 1 John chapter 1 and 2 John chapter 2 and 3 John chapter 1 and read some passages where John says, in effect, the same thing. He says, you are our joy. When I see you walking with God, I rejoice. Our joy comes from you. The idea is that these apostles found joy not in circumstances. We're going to see Paul really struggling with his circumstances. His joy is in the congregants because he is suffering for the name of Christ and they are benefiting by that uh, struggle and therefore he's able to rejoice. So, Paul has decided that for his sake he would not make this second letter a letter of rebuke. So it seems to me that what Paul does is he sees one letter of sorrow and one of joy. The first letter, the sorrow is the disunity and the division and the sin that's going on in the community. And so his theme is unity through love in the holy community. And he teaches them how to do that in the light of the gospel of resurrection. But in this second letter... His joy is in their fellowship. And in their fellowship and their love is comfort. So if sorrow is the result of disunity, joy is the result of comfort. Uh, It's interesting that at this time we sing about tidings of comfort and joy. And so that second notion is what 2 Corinthians is about comfort and joy. When we have a spirit of humility 
and reconciliation and an eternal perspective, which he will talk about, of what God is bringing about, we have comfort and we have joy as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom to come. And the joy of the Lord is our strength that causes us to endure even in hardship. Now Paul's going to do one more thing. And that one more thing he's going to do is he's going to have to justify his apostleship. And this is a distasteful thing for him. We'll see it in the letter. He will tell them uh, why he is an apostle and what his ministry is about. But he finds it very, very distasteful to have to talk about himself in that way. Because it's difficult to maintain a spirit of humility when you're having to give your uh, reputation and your uh, credentials for why they should be listening to you. And so he says, I have to go to boasting, I hate this. I don't want to boast. I want, I want to just be accepted by you, but I have to prove that I'm acceptable. And so he will do that in his letter. Now there is one thing that I wanted to look at because I think it's really important. It kind of sums up all that's going on. I think if we start with that, it'll be better for us as we go through the letter. So I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the last chapter of the letter. I'm going to just look at a few verses, talk about them, and then I'll be done. So I'll be done at the normal time. Isn't that great? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. After he does this letter of comfort, after he talks about the suffering that is going on, and yet the joy of the Lord that sustains, when he talks about the eternal perspective, and he talks about why he as an apostle is doing what he's doing, and what the Lord is doing in him, even though it doesn't look like that, it looks like he's suffering and he must be under the punishment of God, but he's not under the punishment of God. He's really enduring the uh, the challenge of the enemy in the context of his proclamation of the gospel. He ends with these words. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. What a verse. Now this is a whole sermon. And I will get to it when I get to that text. But I want to trigger in your mind these things that Paul says. Sometimes we go into long biblical passages. And we go into a discourse about these texts and what they mean. And how they go back to Abraham and then Moses. And we do all that kind of stuff. Sometimes maybe in our homes, on our doorposts. On our gates, when we're putting God's word somewhere in the home, we need to put these little quick and clear statements so that we're reminded. We do that with the commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. We leave out the other parts, but we know that they're there. So let me tell you what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, first of all, brethren, rejoice. Be joyful. 
Be glad for God's grace has come to you. And it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength that's going to get you through the difficult times. You're not going to get through difficult times with highbrow theology. You're not going to get through difficult times with everybody encouraging you because somebody is going to be Job's friend and say, maybe you deserve this. Right? All of that's going to happen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that joy is because of God's mercies that are renewed every morning. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. The Lord is near. Then he says to them, be made complete. What? In a sense, he's saying, grow up. Grow in grace and in knowledge as you move into maturity. And as you grow in grace and in knowledge and in maturity, you're going to find out something. You're going to find out that you're connected to other people in your household, in your congregation, in the community of faith, and that you are not able to come to maturity without them. That this is a relational community of completeness and you can't be complete by yourself. We need each other. And we need to be encouraging and comforting of one another. Occasionally we have to rebuke one another. But we still need each other in that kind of context. So that we can become a holy community. And we can be the mature body of Christ. As Paul talks about in Ephesians. Then he says, be comforted. I love this word. Uh, Comfort, the biblical, the Greek word for comfort. Uh, parakletos here is the idea of something reinforcing um, if you've ever uh, well you guys I guess we still get bags occasionally now you have to pay for them at the grocery store you remember the old paper bags when I was a kid paper bags were almost as sturdy as leather you could put a ton of groceries in those bags and, and carry those bags and they were, they were fine. And over the years, the bags got thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And I recall one day watching a person put groceries in a bag and they put like two groceries in a bag and then another bag and two groceries in that bag and another bag and two groceries in a bag. And the person was walking out with all these bags and I thought, gee, all of that stuff would have fit in one of those old bags. Then a little later I noticed that people would open a bag and take another bag and put that bag inside the other bag so that it was reinforced. That is the meaning of the word comfort. It means to come alongside and hold up. So when you're falling down, when you're crushing under life's load, that second one comes alongside and the two gives reinforcement. That's comfort. And this idea of being comforted requires community and requires relational integrity. And so he says, I want you to rejoice and think on good things. I want you to be made complete, grow in grace and in knowledge. I want you to be comforted. All of these things require that we do this together. Be reinforced in your faith. Be reinforced in your hope. Be reinforced 
in your love. And then he says, be like-minded. Now, if you've read Paul, you know what he's talking about. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't think that was something to demonstrate. This is why Paul didn't want to demonstrate his apostleship. Because that leads to arrogance. But the mind of Christ is humility. It doesn't matter that I am one with the Father. In that sense, I have come and I'm in the likeness of man. And in the likeness of man, that's humiliation enough. He humbles himself even more to obedience to the death by the cross. So that God could exalt him so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So the mindedness that we're supposed to have is a humility. We're not supposed to take ourselves that seriously. We are to be humble. We are to think on others as more important than us. And in doing so, we, uh, we minister to them. Now the problem is, and this is what why Paul ends up having to do what he does, is sometimes when you humble yourself that way, the other, the other person assumes that you're doing that because you really are less than them. So then they just walk on you. But if we're all being humble, if we're all helping, then we will be like-minded in that sense. Now, got to be careful you know, I've been at a door, you've probably been this too, where you open the door and say, go ahead. And they say, no, you go ahead. And you say, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. And nobody's going ahead. Okay. That's, that's when we're stuck in that notion. The idea is that where a person has strength, they bear the infirmity of the weaker one. Okay. And if you're the one who's the weaker one in that sense, doesn't mean you're inferior. You, you want to be gracious about that. Make your way knowing that the next time they're going to be in need of what you're strong in. Right? And in doing that, we help each other fully. Again, it's communal. And then he says, live in peace. Again, biblical texts ought to be uh, triggering in your mind. As much as depends on you, live in peace with all men. There are people who you cannot live in peace with. You are not required to live in peace with everybody. You are required to live in peace as much as depends on you. Now, we have to ask ourselves, does this depend on me? Right? Because there are times when the other person is irritating and we say, I can't live with peace with them. Well, yes, you can, if it depends on you. You don't want to, that's a different issue, right? So the idea is, as much as depends on us, live at peace with all men, okay? We're to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. We ought to really be able to live in peace with one another, since we're all working at that same goal, because we're like-minded. And we're reinforcing, so we're comforting one another. And we're being made complete together. And therefore we can rejoice. And Paul says, when you do these things, when you are in the joy of the Lord, when you are growing in grace and knowledge, being made complete, when you are comforted 
by the presence of your fellow believer. When you are like-minded with them in humility, seeking the better for them, when you are living in peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. Because the Lord dwells in His people. And when we are really in that kind of community, God is among us. We live so much in a culture where it's all about individual achievement. And we have created a faith that is about me and God. And I can't find that anywhere. Even those who we think of as the major heroes, Abraham, needed Sarah and his kids. Moses needed Aaron and the others. David needed Jonathan. There, there is no individual lone ranger for Jesus anywhere in the scriptures. It is all communal. And the way we engage this world that is tough... And the darkness that's outside as we wait for the light of Advent and the substance of Advent, the second coming, to take place. We are to rejoice in the Lord as that is our strength. We are to grow together in grace and in knowledge so that we will be made complete as the image of Christ in His body. We are to reinforce one another and comfort one another in faith, hope, and love. We are to maintain a mindset of humility towards one another and live in peace with one another and know for certain that the Lord our God is with us. When we do that and we are in peace, we will be still and know that He is God. And the God of love and peace will never leave us nor forsake us because He is our God and we are His people. Let's pray.